0: continue our study in the book of Ezra, but I don't want you to turn to Ezra, instead I want you to turn to Haggai chapter 2. Guys, right after the book of Zephaniah, it's only two chapters. And it's right before the book of Zechariah. Did that help you any? <clears throat> if everybody has it, I want to uh, let's let's have a, a word of prayer, and then I want to explain some things to you. Then we'll get into unpacking these verses, okay? Father, tonight as we look at this uh, passage and uh, as we see how it relates to the history of your people and to the, uh, Father, the rebuilding of the temple and, and uh, God, the obstacles that your people faced and the work that you called them to do. I pray that we would, we would see how it relates to us in our own lives, but also as a church, We would understand that there's always going to be obstacles. We would understand, Father, that uh, uh, if we're not careful, if we don't have the right heart, if we don't have the right motivation, uh, then what we do does not matter, and it's not pleasing unto you. I pray tonight we would focus on Scripture and desire time spent with you. In Christ's name, amen. You know, when I was in school, I was not a great student on many areas. I know it's hard to believe, but... uh, There were a few subjects that I kind of excelled at. One was history, uh, the other was literature, and then the third one was science. And I actually really like science. Uh, But I will tell you this before I make this statement. I'm I'm by no means a physicist or a scientist, but I do think that science would back me on this one, folks. It's a whole lot easier to push a boulder downhill than it is uphill. You agree with that? Okay, so I learned something in science all those years. So what I'm saying to you is down always seems to be easier than up. Uh, For instance, folks, I can get down on the ground. That's pretty easy to do. My problem is with bad knees and too much bulk is trying to get back up after I get down. So down is easier than up. And and I'll say this, that general observation, that holds true in all areas of life. Not just in the physical, but think about this. It's easier to tear someone down than it is to build someone up. It's a whole lot easier to discourage someone than it is to encourage someone. Down is easier than up. And depending on how you go down or how fast you go down, it could be very painful. Amen? You, You ever been there? Anybody else ever fall? You know, was it last year, two years ago, the... The porch at our house had iced over. My feet came out from under me, and I I went down in a hurry and busted two ribs. And I can assure you, going down was very painful at that time. Matter of fact, coming up was even painful at that time. But here, Haggai, what he does, he comes onto the scene at a time when God's people, they were down. I mean, they were discouraged, they felt defeated, they had come from Babylon, they had a sense of excitement, a sense of purpose, there was enthusiasm that surrounded their return. They had been gone for 70 years, remember? Babylon had come in, they had sacked the city of Jerusalem, they had destroyed the temple, they had taken captives, Uh, away and they'd been gone for 70 years but now they had the opportunity to return they had optimism they'd come back they're going to start uh, rebuilding the temple and and rebuilding their way of lives but the thrill didn't last too long opposition mounted the enormity of the task at hand uh, set in and because of that the people instead of tending to God's work they uh, Instead of building the temple, they pushed God's work and basically pushed God to the sidelines and took care of themselves. And for 16 years, they focused on their lives, their businesses, their houses, and the work of God went dormant. So God, what did He do? He, sent, he didn't send a politician. He didn't send a, a diplomat. He didn't send some great uh, doctor or, or some great teacher. Instead, He sent a preacher. He sent a prophet by the name of Haggai. And he sent Haggai to preach to the people to declare God's word to them. And you know what? God's word was effective. And I hope you understand this, hope you realize this. God's word is always effective when it is received and it is followed, it is applied. So God's word was effective. The people returned to the task at hand, returned to building the temple. But again, it didn't last long. Why? Remember, down's always easier than up. So, Warren Wiersbe says this. Let me read this to you. He said, Haggai in his commentary says, Haggai unearthed the truth that all ministers have discovered. It's one thing to get get God's people to work or back to work and something completely different to keep them on the job. Now, let me give you a little timeline of what's going on here. On the first day of the sixth month, Haggai preached his first message. Twenty-three days later... All right, the people acted upon that message. They started back to work. But then, one month after that, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the resolve began to crack, and that uphill push got a little tough on them. So, in Haggai chapter 2, we find the Word of God coming again. To the people. And Haggai, in this second message that we're looking at in chapter 2, we discover uh, in this the the obstacle the people faced, the biggest obstacle they faced. And the biggest obstacle God's people faced was not the difficulty of the task in front of them, but instead it was the attitudes that were within them. So what Haggai does, he addresses these internal obstacles to progress. Now, in this chapter, as we look at these different obstacles, they're probably going to seem familiar to you, because uh, basically, folks, the obstacles uh, to progress that Haggai talks about, they're evidenced in our lives and in our churches time and time and time again. So tonight, what I want to do is give you... Three principles that you can apply on how to stay the course. How to stay the task and not give in to that downward spiral of discouragement. How to stay doing what God's called you to do. Let's look at the first four verses of Haggai chapter 2. <coughs> it says, On the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by, by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak." the high priest, and the remnant of the people, saying, verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? So he's asking, Who here is old enough to remember the temple, the the original temple? And then he says, And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Bible declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoshadok, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord. And work, now listen to this, For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, if we're going to stay on task, And what God called us to do in our lives, as a church, as a people, if we're going to stay on task and avoid that down and keep moving forward, number one, first thing we need to do is understand the true nature of the task at hand. That was a problem with the people. That's why God sent Haggai there. Now, you'd think they'd understand the nature of the task at hand. I mean, we all understand what the nature was, right? They were supposed to rebuild the temple. I mean, if something's broke, you fix it. You repair it. That's a pretty simple concept. They were supposed to rebuild the temple. Well, that's what it looks like on the surface. Folks, the problem is that the nature of the task was more than just about building something. The nature of the task goes far deeper. The building was a big part of what was going on, but only to the extent that that building of the temple, that represented and pointed to something far greater. Now, their purpose in coming back was much bigger than what they thought, but they missed it say, preacher, why would you say they missed it? Well, let me give you some reasons. One, because their great focus and concern was on that physical building. No doubt, it was an enormous task. I mean, the temple had been devastated by the Babylonians. If you've read it, or you've studied that time of the history of God's people, you know, when Babylon came in, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They not only sacked the temple, they plundered it. They took everything worth value out of the temple. So all the ornate and the beauty of the former temple, it was gone. All the precious jewels, all the silver, all the gold, it was gone. And now God's people had come back and, and, and remember they had been given the vessels of, of for the temple again. The king had given them the vessels. But here's the problem, folks. They still lack the ability to restore the temple to its former size and its former beauty. They didn't have the wealth. They didn't have the workers. They didn't have the material available that King Solomon had when he built the original temple. So because of that, they're discouraged. Because the work they're doing in their mind, they say it was never going to compare to the work that had been done. The work that had been destroyed and the work that was no more. So listen to me. This is important. I want you to listen to your pastor. Feeling as if you cannot compete with the past, that is a very quick way to lead to that downward spiral, to that discouragement. Because you start thinking like this, uh, why bother? Number one, why bother if it cannot be as good as it was before? Why worry? Why put forth the effort if we can't compete with the temples across town on the other side of the county? What's the point? Church, listen to me. This type of thinking, that never inspires you. It doesn't inspire anybody to stay on task. That type of thinking, what it does is cause people to abandon the task. And that's exactly where God's people were at this point in time. I mean, you had some folks there in Jerusalem who had stayed, who, who were not part of the captivity that went to Babylon, and then you had those people coming back. And they joined together, and they decided, alright, let's clear the rubble, let's take stock and inventory of what we have. So they began to do the work and clear the rubble. They took inventory of material and of people. you got to remember something. The original temple, God raised up some master craftsmen, craftsmen for that first temple. It was a thing and a sight to behold, according to ancient writers. But, but they knew, when they began to take stock, they was like, well, wait a minute, uh, we're not the work that we're going to do, it's going to pale in comparison to what was before. And so because of that, because they were looking at the task at hand in front of them, instead of looking at the true task that was before them, they began to get discouraged. They were nostalgic, you know, for what used to be. And, and the truth is, you cannot change what was, you only work on what is now. Amen? As the old saying goes, you can't undo what has been done. Now we can easily, and I think we'll all relate to this, we can easily sacrifice the present and cripple the future by glorifying and mourning about what used to be. We do the same thing in our lives. I mean, things change. Life moves on. Jobs change. Living situations change. Friendship and relationships may break apart. Family members may die. Business falters. Health falters. Time moves on. And what is today becomes the past, and we either live in it and long for it, or we move forward. Let me illustrate it in my own personal life. I can look back at the way things were when Marcia and I first uh, were married. You know, I thought about that yesterday. I, I Marcia and I were uh, around Ada, the other side of Ada, at my, uh, one of my nephews' weddings. And uh, my brother's youngest boy. And a beautiful wedding, and I got thinking about when Marsh and I were kids. You know, we were a whole lot younger and years ago, and life was so much simpler back then. I could long for that time, but at what expense? What would it cost me? You know, I I looked at those boys, my nephews, and, the, and the, some other kids that were there that I knew from when they were kids. They're they young men in their 20s now, 30s, and you know, young and strong. And I could look at that and say, you know what? I, I sure would like to go back to the days when I was actually an athlete, when I could actually play ball, when I had, when my right arm was like a cannon. You know, I played uh, baseball and then played fast-pitch softball for years. I was a catcher. Nobody stole second base on me. And I had, I had hit. I mean, there wasn't hardly a ballpark, and, and I'm not bragging on this. I'm just being honest. Marcia can testify to this. There wasn't hardly a ballpark in the metro area of Oklahoma City that I couldn't hit the ball out of. Now, I could long for those days. Say, man, I'd like to be young and go back to those times again. But, if I long for it, at what expense? At what expense? I can look back and say, boy, things were a whole lot better when I had that job or this job or had that paycheck or that retirement, you know, or that car or that house or on and on and on. Friend, listen to me. You gain nothing by living in the past except for heartache and tears. And that is exactly what was happening to God's people at this time. They wept and they mourned for what was, and didn't understand the opportunity that was right before. It's one thing to remember the past. It's another thing to mourn and long for the past at the expense of the present and the future. Because And there were some that had this attitude, and I'm sure they expressed this, you know. I'm sure there were some folks there that remembered uh, the original temple, remembered the old days, and they said, well, it was better in my day. And what they did by saying that was throw cold water on the work that should have been going on. And it put an obstacle in front of people. Why did it put an obstacle in front of people? Because people, uh, they got discouraged. And they lost the focus. And they couldn't see the real, (coughs) real reason of why they were working. Now, we do the same thing, not just in our lives, but also in our churches. We look at what God did in the past, and we don't see things the same magnitude happening today that happened in the past, and it's easy to get discouraged. Now, here's my question for you. Does that make what's happening today any less important? Absolutely not. What God did then was important. What God does today is important. Anything God does is important. We may never be part of something big or what we believe to be seemingly significant in the life of the church, you know, like something that took place years ago. But listen, the opportunity and window existed then. It's not the same time now. This is a different day, folks. The church in that day did what God set before them. The church today, we need to do what God sets before us. It's a different day. But there's still work to do, and it's not always the same. I know a lot of churches that are a shell of their former self because you know what they did? They stayed in the past, and they longed and mourned for the way things used to be instead of moving on and and seizing the opportunity that laid right before them. I can name quite a few churches and quite a few of them right around here that's done that. Now listen to me. We may not build, we may not grow, or uh, and I hesitate to use this word, but a lot of people think this way. We may not compete with some other church in our area or association, but that does not mean that our work, where we are today and what we're doing today, is not significant. That's not important. It is same thing's true of any church. I don't care what size it is. If that church is following God and doing God's work, and they're doing it with the right motive and the right heart, that work is important. God gave that to them to do, and they're being obedient by doing that work. One pastor wrote this. I want you to listen to it. This was to his church. They They were about to go through a building project. He said, be the people we're called to be no matter what the situation we find ourselves in. We may not have been given the same window of opportunity that was present in the past or across town. The work itself, and he says the visible results, may not be as glorious or or grand, but the work is no less important. Because the glory is not in what we build or do, but to involve ourselves fully in the work that God has called us to and the opportunities He has placed before us. The glory is that God is with us in what we build and what we do people understood the immediate task, but not the true nature of the task. So again, the building of the temple was part of a much larger purpose, a much larger plan. Uh, remember now, the temple, that symbolized God's presence with His people. It was there where God dwelt with His people. Uh, it was there they worshipped. Uh, the temple had the same role as the tabernacle and the Exodus wanderings. And think about what took place in the temple. There was uh, There was sacrifice. There was worship. Now think about this. The sacrifice had not been taking place with God's people for near a century. For almost a century. Now sacrifice was essential to their faith. And the overarching goal was not building, but it was God. The glory was not in the building. The glory was God Himself. Look back. I'll show you what I'm saying. Look back at verses 3 and 4 again. says, who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. You know, sometimes, folks... Sometimes we can get so focused on the task or we can get so involved in the work of the ministry we forget how what we're doing, how it all connects to the whole and we forget the ultimate purpose of the church which is to glorify God and make disciples. The people were focused on the glory of the building rather than the presence of God. And I think so many churches, we have that problem today. We focus on... Buildings, or we focused on numbers, or we focused on programs, or we focus on this or that. We focus on everything except the presence of Almighty God being with us. God was going to be with them even if the current project's glory didn't compare to the former's glory, God's presence and God's glory, that should have been their first focus. Now let's keep reading, because there's a second point I want to call your attention to. If you're going to stay on the course, stay the course, stay the task at hand, and not go on that downward spiral in in discouragement. And that is we need to understand the importance of personal holiness applied to the work God's called us to do. Now that's kind of a wordy way to say something, but but what I'm getting at is whatever work we do for God should be done in the right way and with the right heart, with the right motive. Look at uh, verse 10 of chapter 2. Let's start reading there. On the twenty-fourth of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, or Darius, the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, "Thus says the Lord of hosts: <coughs> Ask now the priest for a ruling." In other words, ask the priest this question. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches bread with his fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will, that, will it become holy? In other words, if he has some consecrated uh, meat or food that was consecrated unto God and it's considered holy and it touches something that's not holy, will that object, whatever it is that's not holy, will it become holy? And he says, uh, "Ask the priest and the priest answered, No. Now look at verse 13. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean from a corpse touches any of these, will the latter become clean? And the priest answered, It will become unclean. Then Haggai said, So is this people. Now this is God's word from, from, through Haggai, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Verse 15, But now do consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord. From the time when one came to a grain heap of twenty measures, there would be only ten. And when one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there would be only twenty. And I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Verse 18, do consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree. It has not borne fruit, yet from this day on, I will bless you. God says, consider, I brought this calamity on you. I brought this because of your rebellion and your sin. But understand, the potential is still there. It's still there. So what, what's he doing? Well, God's using Haggai to call the people to repentance. Like any good, to me, gospel preacher. He's going to call people to repentance and then he's going to encourage people. And that's what Haggai is doing. When it comes to, to the work of God, the feelings of, of, of futility, uh, discouragement, and ineffectiveness, I want to promise you, friend, it can be related to sin in our lives. That's what was happening to God's people. The people weren't making progress, they weren't prospering in the work. And the reason was because of sin. So it's amazing what God does. And, and, and you know, God, it, it's so, God is so amazing in all that He does. But he tells that guy, he says, all right, I want you to give them an illustration from their ceremonial laws, one that they'll grasp. One that they'll understand. And let me break it down for you. He says, if you got a piece of meat and you've offered it to me, God says, uh, and it was holy and that meat touches something else, say bread, wine, oil, whatever it may be, would that food item be holy? Well, of course, the priests are going to say, no, absolutely not. Holiness, uh, in this aspect, it's not communicable, it's not transferable. The item may have been holy, but it cannot impart holiness to something or to someone else. And then... He says, "If you have someone that's unclean, they they touch the corpse, and they touch something to someone else. Does that remain clean or become unclean? The answer: it becomes unclean. So God's saying, if you got someone that's holy, and then you got someone that's unclean, now holiness in and of itself through someone is not transferable, but sin can be transferable. Sin can affect." Sin can uh, begin to take hold. Uh, it can permeate and corrupt. It contaminates whatever it touches. Now that's the point that God's making. And folks, whatever we're doing, even if we're trying to do good, if we've got sin in our lives, if the motive's wrong, if our heart is wrong, then whatever we're trying to do, even though it's good, it's still wrong. Now the people were struggling in the work of God and, and, and what God had given them because there was sin in their hearts. They were not right spiritually. They didn't have the right spiritual frame of mind. They had focused selfishly on their lives. They had placed their agendas at the center. And, and, and God's agendas and God's purpose and God Himself, they had moved to the sidelines. The point is real simple, what's being made here. Folks, it's simple. Dirty hearts make for dirty hands, and that contaminates whatever we're doing. Sometimes our ineffectiveness... Our lack of joy, our inability to stay on task has more to do with our hearts than it does the task at hand. It's kind of what I quoted this morning. We've got to keep in mind 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatsoever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. When in a ministry. We're performing a work that God's called us to do. We need to do that for God's glory, not our own. We need to do that simply for God's glory, not so we can stand back and say, look what we've accomplished we have to be vigilant to watch over our hearts and our motives. And, and I'm going to go ahead and say this. I, I, I'll probably need to say this again on Sunday morning. We have most of the church here, but you can pass this on to anybody else that might be interested. If you're leading in a ministry and your attitude is critical, or you are lazy, or you've lost sight of the overall purpose, or you've got sin in your life, do not expect God to bless that ministry. You know how many young preachers I've said this exact thing to? Don't be lazy in the ministry. You do the job God's called you to do. Don't don't be lazy. Don't have the wrong heart, the wrong motive. The problem so many times, folks, is not the task, but the problem is the one assigned to the task. Then there's a third principle. I'm going to try to wind it down here to help you stay on course and and, and, uh, uh, stay on the task at hand. And that is we, we need to understand the necessity of looking ahead. All that we do, that God called us to do, and the work that we do for God, we do it looking to the future. I want you to look at, uh, let's back up again, verse 5 through 10, then I'll skip down to verses 20 through 23. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Uh, now look at verse, yeah, look at verse 6. for thus says the Lord of hosts once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth the sea also and the dry land I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory says the Lord of hosts the silver is mine The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Now you need to understand, he's speaking about more than just the temple they are building at that point. He's speaking about into the future beyond the temple. The latter glory of this house, verse 9, will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month, saying, now it's in verse verse 20 I just read, verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 22, I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down every one by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts you know what God's doing? The point is, God is directing them to the future. Look beyond what you're doing right here, right now, today. God says, look to the future. Look what I'm going to do. Always remember, God is working in the present, but never forget this, folks. What God does in the present, not only has future implications, but it's preparation for what He's going to do in the future. The people feel discouraged and defeated right now. God sends Haggai in to preach <coughs> repentance and then encouragement. God reminds them their future is not one of defeat. It's instead, it's, it's not defeat and discouragement. It's, it's a future of victory. They were defeated because the temple lacked the glory of the former temple. But God reminded them the previous temple and the one they were building, they were just preludes to a much more glorious temple in the future. Church, we're called to be faithful in the present no matter what's going on. Do you agree with that? Say amen. We're to be faithful right here, right now, today. No matter what's going on in the world around us, we're still faithful to God, faithful to what He's called us to do. Because every victory that we have in this life is a foretaste of future and greater victories. All that we do in the church is a foretaste of something far greater. Do you understand that? Our worship of God here together on Sundays, it's a foretaste of greater worship gathering that we're going to have one day. Uh, Folks, our time spent, like tonight, studying God's Word, interacting with God, getting to know God in a deeper, more intimate way, that's a foretaste of getting to know Him together when we're in His presence. Uh, Our time spent in fellowship as a church, it's just a foretaste of the great community that we're going to enjoy together in heaven. See, what you do for the Lord is not just about the work that you're doing. What you do for the Lord, always do it with the future in mind. See, God is making preparations for the future and everything that you do for Him. Everything that He calls you to do. All the work that He gives you to do. God is using that for the future. We labor in faith right now, even though we may not experience the full results. You know, I was talking to a young preacher yesterday and he was talking about how hard it's been since the virus and everything. And I talked to some of the guys before church. He said, you know, Jim, we, we opened back up a few weeks ago, but we're not running but about 20%, 20 to 30% on Sunday mornings of what we ran before the virus. He said, man, I've got to tell you, I'm discouraged. i got to tell you, I, I feel defeated. I said, brother, you're one of millions of preachers that are going through that. I said, but let me tell you what helps me. I said, remember what God's called you to do. The orders hadn't changed. I said, I had a buddy of mine as a Marine. And he used to always say, and, and with lack of uh, different orders, continue with the orders last given. I said, that's what you're supposed to do as a preacher. You continue swinging that hammer. You continue preaching the gospel, but you do it with the future in mind. Understanding that the work you're doing today for God is just as important as the work that was done years ago or centuries ago for God. Same thing's true with us, folks. Whether you're teaching Sunday school, whether you're teaching and working Bible school in the children's department, whatever you're doing for the glory of God, the work God's called you to do, it's just as important as any other work that God's called somebody to do. Let me tell you what we need to do. We need to... Even though we may not see the full results of the work, we still long for that day, amen? We long for the day when God's promises are fulfilled. We need, to be, we need to be like the great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read a little part of that. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning verse 13. It says, And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And then verse 14, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. In other words, they kept their eyes on the prize. Their eyes on the future. 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Let me close right here, folks. Faith in the future promises of God. That's what keeps us focused and faithful for the task at hand right now. Amen. Do you agree with that? And what's the task at hand for the church right now? Most people don't know. It's sad, but they don't. It's exalting. It's equipping. It's evangelizing. It's making disciples. That's the task at hand. You say, well, what about building? What about doing this? What about that program? Anything that we do needs to be geared for that. Exalting God, equipping, evangelizing, making disciples. God's glory and making disciples. Anything within the church is geared toward that. Because the, the, the task of the church, of glorifying God and making disciples, that connects to an even greater reality. You know what that reality is? Eternity in heaven. Always, always work for the Lord with the future in mind. Because God does. God has it all planned out. God knows the future before it becomes the past. And He calls us to perform a specific task that's part of His plan. Would You bow your heads, please. Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. We thank You for how it instructs us, how it disciplines us, how it encourages us, how it guides us. God, how it, how it lifts us up in those down times. I thank You for Your Word, for the promises of Your Word. I pray that each one of us, as, we, uh, as Christians and as Your children, as we serve uh, You in our lives and through the church, that we would do so with the right motive, with the right heart. We would do so with the the purpose of bringing glory to you and making disciples, not of of bringing glory to ourselves, not of uh, being able to stand back and say, look what our church has accomplished. No, no, Father, we want people to see what's done and bring all the glory to you. We want people to see our lives, and I pray this would be our desire, that people would see our lives and they couldn't help but say, What an awesome God we have. Father, I I thank you for preserving these words down through the ages, through the thousands of years, to bring them to this point tonight for us to study. And I pray that we as Southside Baptist Church, Father, when you have a task for us to do, we would do it with great enthusiasm. We would do it, uh, God, because our desire is to glorify you. And we would stay committed to doing that task by staying focused on you and on your future. In Christ's name, amen.